0: Well, good morning. We are thankful that you are here this morning. I am thankful that you have chosen to be here. I've said this before about the congregation here, but you guys are the most travelous bunch of people I've ever seen. And when I look around the audience, you know, that's evident. Uh, of course, we've been missing the Corbins in the groves and hope that they'll be back with us again soon. I'm thankful any time I can hear Brett Lawrence pray for us, that he's able to be with us. Of course, he's gone for work most of the time, just not able to get away from work. I say that in connection, too, because as we prayed for James already this morning. We're mindful of all of our folks who are traveling and, and have to be gone for work at various times and be away from us. But even this morning, we've got so many that are with us, son and, and Brenda, of course, Miss Evelyn and Arlene and Betty and so many others that their health doesn't allow them to be out as much as they would like because every time you ask them, they say, well, I want it to be here, and we, we understand that. But we're thankful for the opportunity to be together and especially with this group this morning If you're visiting with us, we're thankful that you have come our way in particular If you're potentially looking for a church home or a church family We want you to know that this is a wonderful place of God's people striving to do what the Bible tells us to do And we would love for you to be a part of it We had a very great Sunday, last Sunday Uh, With our homecoming, a very good crowd and a very good time of fellowship together, we're thankful to all those who had a part in that and appreciate, again, just so much the willingness of this congregation to work together and even as such a day like that, that we all have a great time and then we get home about three o'clock and we all pass out because we're just exhausted from being together and and having a good day of fellowship and worship together. We hope that you can be back with us this evening as we worship again. If you're able to be, we're going to continue our study that we've been going through this year, uh, a Book of the Month Club. If you will, and tonight we're going to look at 1 Samuel It Doesn't necessarily sound interesting on the surface, but as we've tried to do We make application from the various books that we look at Take a, a very broad view at them in about 30 minutes or less And try to, to take a look at some things that we can learn Even from something that long ago Even from something that maybe we think wouldn't be of interest to us There is certainly application even for us today before we get into the lesson this morning, uh, sometimes in the course of public speaking, the preacher can say something that he didn't mean to say. I've always strived to say that I hope that you just don't take my word on things, that if I ever say something uh, that isn't true, then I'm glad to be told, and I would be loved given the chance to correct that. A couple of weeks ago, before homecoming, a couple of weeks ago on Sunday night, I made a statement. And some of you weren't even here for that service, but I I wanted to say something publicly because I learned a lesson that night about just how much you all hear from my lessons. I made the statement while I was folding laundry. Now, the lesson I learned is that you guys really don't hear anything I say sometimes in the lesson. I talked for 25 more minutes after that, okay? I've run the numbers 25 more minutes worth of Bible material And I think it was Barry Arnold was the first one to me out the back door that made a comment about ruining it for the rest of the men in the audience. Uh, Jamie Sneed and Santana both confessed and admitted guilt of snickering and looking over at my wife. Uh, My wife admitted to instantly feeling flushed and sweating from nervousness. And to top it all off, an elder, one of our dear elders, gave me grief from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I kid you not, I was going to leave it alone. And then this particular elder that I preached the sermon that he requested, he listened to the said sermon, and his first response was, why did you mention folding clothes in your sermon? I learned then a hard lesson about what you all hear and what you don't hear from the lesson sometimes. There are some times in life that there is something or some task that we have to do in order to accomplish a particular goal. Sometimes that something or some task is quite difficult. I think about a person facing a cancer diagnosis, even as some of you today have faced or are facing. And on the one hand, of course, is, is death. I, I mean, you can do nothing, and maybe you can live for a time, but you will die. And then on the other hand is some oftentimes some form of chemotherapy. And you, you see, you know that you will live, But you will have to take the worst drug imaginable. It will make you sick. It will ravage your body. You'll lose your hair. You'll go through many other physical changes. But maybe you can beat cancer. Even this morning, I got on Facebook for a few moments before we left the house, and and I saw a a young man who was in my youth group, one of the summers that I interned as a youth minister. He was in my youth group who has, I think it's something in his hip, some form of cancer in his hip, and he was sharing that in the last week he has had fever, he's been throwing up, he's passed out, he's been in the emergency room, he's been dehydrated, and he made the statement, if the chemo doesn't kill me, you know, I, I don't know if cancer does the chemo might, because you want to accomplish the task of being able to live and be cancer-free, but you've got to go some, through something so terribly difficult in order to get there. We find a similar instance in 2 Kings chapter 5. Similar only in the sense that sometimes we, we try to examine how hard the thing is that we have to do to accomplish something. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we meet the commander of the Syrian army, a great and honorable man, the Bible calls him, a man by the name of Naaman. Naaman has the terrible and dreaded disease of leprosy. And when he hears that there is a prophet of God in Israel who can heal him, Naaman goes to meet this prophet of God. Only this prophet, this man of God, Elisha, does not go out to meet Naaman, but he sends a messenger out to tell Naaman to go and wash in the Jordan seven times. And you would have thought that Elisha had told him to chop off his arm. Or to sacrifice his own child on an altar in order to be rid of this leprosy. Because in verse number 11 of 2 Kings chapter 5, the Bible tells us that Naaman is furious. And in verse number 12, the verse concludes that he goes away in a rage. Now those who are gathered around him, his servants, they're confused. They're unsure about this. They're almost scratching their head and they have to go to him and ask, Did not this man of God tell you what to do? And in verse 13, they ask him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? They're asking, what do you mean you're furious? He's given you the answer. I mean, obviously he didn't snap his fingers and poof, it's done. He didn't tell you to turn around in two circles and you would be healed. But he's given you what you needed to do. Sure, he didn't make it that easy, but he's not requiring all of your possessions. We understand the idea of extortion. It would seem that if Elisha was after money, he could have asked for everything that Naaman had. His power, his money, his possessions, everything. And I'll give you the cure. But instead, he tells him to go and wash in the Jordan River seven times. And for some reason, Naaman is angry. He's furious. He's in a rage. And they're scratching their heads wondering. something that was so simple, almost that if he had told him you have to to make a five day journey, you have to sell everything that you have, you need to give up one of your children and sacrifice it. Then he would have said, sure, let's go. I'll take care of it. But to do something that simple, he raised such a fuss about our title this morning is the simplest sermon ever preached. Now, what's interesting as we're going to go through this together is the idea that that this sermon has been preached but that it is preached time time and time again in our own lives. It is very simple because one of the distinguishing marks of Christianity is its simplicity. It's so simple sometimes that people can't even believe it. It's so simple sometimes that people won't even participate in it or go through the action because of its simplistic nature. This morning we want to examine the fact that the essentials of the gospel are really as simple as A, B, C. If you've got your bulletin in front of you, I tried to make the letters a little bigger there so that you could see as you follow along in the outline. We're going to take a look at simply A, B, and C of the gospel. We begin, first of all, this morning with the fact. The fact is, is that all have sinned. We know Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we must acknowledge this fact. We must acknowledge the fact of sin. Many people would just prefer to bury their, hand, their head in the sand, as we would say, not paying attention to anything, not only going on around them, but even in their own life. But we must acknowledge that this is a sinful world. It's what makes it hard for us. If we lived in some type of utopia, or as we have said, even from this pulpit before, if we all came to this building and locked the doors and shut ourselves in, things might be okay for a little while. But the fact of the matter is, all have sinned. Maybe a little bit lesser known of a passage is Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Because all sinned. Or we know very well, first John chapter one and verse number ten. 1 John one ten. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. It's a pretty strong statement there to consider. If I live my life in such a way that I I, I feel like I've got it all figured out, there's no problems, I have no sin, then we make God a liar. It's pretty strong to consider the fact that we have to acknowledge that all have sinned. As it says on the screen there, it is a fact. Consider for a moment, though, what if, we only, what if we stopped here? What if this was it, A, and we stopped there? That all have sinned. How dark a picture would that be? How awful and pointless would life be if there was nothing to be done for the problem of sin? If we understood the fact that all have sinned and there's nothing that we can do, that we must all just take it, that we're going to possibly be punished because of it, but there's nothing we can do to get out of it, this leaves us in a pretty dark and pointless place. But we move on to letter B when we think about the simplicity of the gospel, and that is the cure. The cure is found in John chapter 1 and verse number 29. Perhaps you're familiar with the account here. You may remember the fact that John the baptizer and Jesus have already met. We talked about that before when they were both in the womb. And John the baptizer there, although he's not known for that name yet, is kicking because he knows that he's in the presence of who will be the Messiah. But when we come to John chapter 1, we see that John is already being questioned there. You know John 1, the first 18 verses or so, where John speaks about the logos, the logos, the word there, that the word became flesh. We understand John chapter 1 there, but when you move down to verse 19, John's being questioned. They're asking him these questions about, who are you? Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? They're sort of hounding him, trying to figure out exactly who he is and what these things are that he is saying. And he's telling them, hey, hey, I'm not your guy. He says very plainly there, I am not the Christ. And verse number 20, there is coming one who is greater than I. John the baptizer was pointing the way. He makes that great statement there in verse number 27 about there is one coming who is greater than me, better than me. And he even gives the example of whose sandals I am not even ready to lose, not worthy to lose. But we come to verse number 29. John the baptizer sees Jesus, the Lamb of God, coming. And he makes this great statement. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Hebrew writer would say it this way in Hebrews chapter 9 in verse number 26. But now, once at the end of the ages, he, is, of course is Christ, has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And continuing through the end of that chapter in Hebrews 9, and as it is appointed unto man or for man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. It's the good news. I understand that sometimes our sermons take a little bit of a negative slant and there's sometimes that we need to have our toes stepped on, but yet it should still be a message of good news. We see several times in the New Testament the idea of heralding, of trumpeting, of sounding forth the good news of Jesus Christ. Yes, this world is filled with sin and death. Yes, in this world you will have tribulation. Yes, life is not easy. And yes, there is darkness all around us. But with the same confidence and boldness of John the Baptizer, we can say the same words Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, salvation is here. Behold, his blood washes away my sins. As John stood there and said it almost 2,000 years ago, we can preach the same message. We can have the same confidence and boldness even today. Even in this dark world of sin, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away sin. He has taken away sin. For the non-Christian, for the non-Christian sins, they're taken away by faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. The person who has been saved from their sin, who again sins willfully, can repent and pray for forgiveness. Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, He has come. Behold, our sins can be taken away. But then thirdly, there is the invitation. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28, we realize that yes, all have sinned, but yes, Christ has come. And before he left this earth, he left us with these words in Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus gives us here four simple things to follow. We understand that all have sinned, that Jesus has come, but then we have to come unto him. Four things from this particular verse is here in Matthew chapter 11. First of all, there is something to do. Come. We must come to him. It's not miraculous. There is no predestination. We're not chosen ahead of time in the sense that many people use that phrase. It's an effort on our part. It's not something that sometimes people call meritorious works or things that we have to check the box, but we do have to come to him. I reckon like anything, he could have chosen. He could have predestined. He could have picked half the world and not half the world or all the world or none of the world. But he says, come unto me. So there is something to be done. But secondly, there is something to take. We must take his yoke. Now, he offers the greatest offering to us. He offers something that is beyond understanding even of this world. We may not understand this concept of yoke. And I mean, we understand what it is, although we maybe we don't use it as often or practice as much in our our world. But but he says, come and take my yoke. He offers it for us. He is offering this life and life more abundantly. He is offering us the peace that comes. But there is also something to leave. We must leave our labor and we must leave our load. In order to take his yoke, we must lay our things down. I think we forget that sometimes. What we try to do is we get into the balance of juggling. We want to all become jugglers because we're going to keep our labor and our load, we're going to try to take his yoke and we spend our time trying to balance it or juggle it in the air. He says, leave your labor and load and take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is what most of us are looking for, to lay our burdens down in this dark world of sin and death, to lay down our troubles and our trials, an opportunity to unload quite literally Many times we want to unload upon people and sometimes we do when we're angry and upset. But Jesus says, leave your labors, leave your heavy burdens and take my yoke. And then fourth, there is something to find and that is a rest. It is then and only then when we come unto him, leave our things and take his yoke then and only then that we can find that true rest. Then and only then can we have the rest that He provides. This is more, of course, rest than a vacation. We all enjoy sometimes that getting away and enjoying the peace that comes from setting the phone down or leaving the job behind or sometimes leaving our family behind. It provides us a rest. But I always said when I got back to work, I didn't want to go on vacation anymore because work was always worse when I got back to my desk after going on vacation. Because that rest is only temporary. It's only a partial rest. And you come back to the work and sometimes it seems heavier than it was before. Jesus provides true peace. He provides true rest that only a Savior can provide. Only the Son of God can give unto us. It really is as easy as ABC. God has not made it so difficult. But, I mean, he could have, though, right? I mean, if we're really considering it, he absolutely could have. I mean, he could have told us that we have to travel to Jerusalem. I mean, the Bible could say, if you want to be saved, you have to go to Jerusalem, which is going to be difficult for many of us, especially for people who want to become Christians later. He could have said, however, boat, swim. Plain, you've got to go to Jerusalem to be saved. He could have said, you've got to go to the Jordan River to be baptized. No water will do. There's no need for a baptistry. You've got to go to the Jordan River. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. But he really did make it simple for us. One more thing to note here, as we said for our beginning of our lesson of the title. It is the simplest sermon ever preached, A, B, C. And we think about our lives, not only is it still a simple sermon today? Not only is it a simple sermon that's been preached before, but it's a sermon that you can preach. It's a sermon that certainly anybody who has obeyed the gospel, who has come unto him, can preach. It's not that complicated. It's not that you don't know enough. And at the times that we have used that as an excuse, shame on us for doing that. Because it really is as simple. Simple enough that we can preach it and teach it. Now what's interesting is that when you look through the book of Acts, we see that this simple message is what the apostles simply preach. They preached the a simple message. Look with me first of all in Acts chapter 2. And if you've got a Bible in front of you, or even if you have to use a pew Bible, go to Acts chapter 2 and let's look together through this and see the message of the preaching in Acts, it really is simple. It really is evangelistic in nature. And it is simply what the apostles preached. In Acts chapter 22, or excuse me, Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter and the disciples, devout men from every nation under heaven, are gathered together. We hear what we call, and we can see this here, the first gospel sermon, because we see this simple nature of the gospel. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 23. Peter, as we pick up in the middle, says, Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. And verse number 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, Because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Peter says, you killed him. God raised him. And in verse number 38, repent. The simplistic nature of the gospel right here in the first gospel sermon. You killed him. God raised him. Repent. Go with me to Acts chapter 3 and verses 14 through 15. We're at Solomon's porch. Peter and John are there. In verse 14, Peter says, But you deny the Holy One and the just and ask for a murderer to be granted unto you and kill the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead. Go look at verse 19. You killed him. God raised him. Repent go to Acts chapter 4 we're before the Sanhedrin Peter and John again in verse number 10 Peter says let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth you killed him God raised him and in verse number 12 repent there is no salvation or there is salvation in any other no other for there is no other name under which By heaven, we must be saved. Go to Acts chapter 5. Look at verses 30 and 30 and 31 there. Peter again and the other apostles are on trial. And what does Peter say? In verse number 30, You killed him. God raised him. Repent. The simple message of the gospel in Acts 2 in Acts 3 and Acts 4. In Acts number 5. Go to Acts chapter 7. This time Stephen. Stephen has gone for 50 verses in our Bible. Through the Old Testament. And he's connecting the dots for him. Now yes, he calls them names there. In verse 51. With the righteous indignation. You stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. And the only difference this time. Is that we come to verse 52. And he says. Which of the prophets... Did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. And the only difference, because we only get to the part of you killed him, the only difference is is they leap upon him and stone him to death before he can get to the God raised him, now you need to repent. They don't even give him a chance to get there before they kill him. And do you remember Acts chapter 26, our lesson from a few weeks ago about Paul's message to Agrippa, that Christ should suffer, and verse number 23 of Acts 26, that Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and in verse number 20, that you should repent. You killed him. God raised him. Repent. Repent. Friends, the simple message was the same in the first century as it is for people around the world today. For any soul who has breath and life and is accountable before God, you killed him. God raised him. Repent. It's controversial. It's controversial because people react as those Jews did with Stephen in Acts chapter 7. They don't want to listen. They stop up their ears and they run around not wanting to hear the simple message of the gospel. Now they may not aim to harm us and take our life as they did with Stephen, but it's controversial. It's confrontational because people don't want to be confronted with their sin. People don't want the message that they have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the message does not change. You killed him. God raised him. Repent. It's not because we don't like you. It's certainly not because there is no hope. But it is plain and simple. All have sinned your sins and my sins. You killed him. But behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away sin, God raised him. Come follow me. Repent. Do you need to become a Christian? And for the first time, repent and truly change your mind this morning. Allow that changing of your mind to change your life. Truly repent of your sins so that you can be baptized for the remission of those sins. Do you need to come back to him? By confession, repentance, and prayer, we have been blessed with an opportunity this morning. The message seems harsh. We don't want to face our sins, but it's very simple you killed him, God raised him, repent. And whether you need to repent for the first time or repent of the sins in your life and come back to him, one of our elders, one of our shepherds, will be down front this morning to assist you in any way that we can as we stand together and as we sing.